welcome to Slacker Moto Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles and the motorcycle community, and we're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. Welcome back, Slackers. Brad, how are you? I am doing good, you know. Couple of weeks into the new year, having uh, having some crazy windstorms, lost power in the middle of the night, and uh, you know, so kind of late night, early morning, trying to get things taken care of. But otherwise, actually not doing too bad. Uh, uh, been working on some few things around the house, getting ready to get that uh, KLR back together, and I don't know, spending a lot of time with family. We had a nice uh, day not too long ago, so we went out to the park and such. And swam nice. with the uh, with the fishes, if you will. So, uh, so what about you? How is Addison doing? Oh, not too bad. Well, yeah, we've had. I guess it was really just yesterday, but pretty uncharacteristic, even for the Northwest amounts of water. Uh, it was a wet day, uh, even even for us. So there was that with the wind. It was it was a I don't know, but we we did okay up in our area. I'm sorry you lost power. That probably uh, makes it difficult to use all your new power in the shop. Yeah, yeah, it makes me want to just backfeed through that and into the house or something. But uh, I've got some dedicated outlets actually in the house that uh, I can hook a generator up to on the outside. So I spent a little bit of time this morning getting that ready. So right now we're, we're on generator power at home, but it's only affecting my wife and kid, not not me. I'm here in, uh, you know, closer to Portland and uh, there's no issue here apparently. So I got to actually work. There you go. That's uh, better. yeah no i ended up getting some work done on the the jt1 uh i've been plugging away a little bit on that and then uh some design work i've been doing for uh for the gladiator build some uh some covers and and replacement components that were were factory plastic or just big castings that are unnecessarily bossed they've got little little uh bolt holes and indents and little things to attach a lot of uh a lot of wires and dash Why components yeah it's got all kinds of stuff uh you know on some of these old 80s components it was just a big chunky casting um so i've actually been working on designing some uh, some laser cut parts to replace those uh, as well as just some cad models that i can print out and cut and and form um for some other other parts so basically looking at some of the aesthetic components and some of the items that you know you could always just leave empty and just have the extra little little tangs and tabs and all the stuff on them but you know that's not good enough it's easy enough especially with all the uh the available short lead time uh laser cutting and and forming industries around us uh, it's too easy to get good parts for a fairly low cost so gonna go ahead and replace all that so i've been working on that a little bit over the last week uh, taking advantage of the, the fact that it's rainy and and wet and cold out in the shop, so doing a little indoor work. Awesome, awesome! Can't wait to see it. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, I I will say I was a bit surprised to read some news just this week uh, that uh, that I I don't know I didn't uh, didn't see coming, and I'm surprised at how old the news was. But did you hear? Uh, about Ducati USA getting raided by the FBI. Oh, what happened? Who got killed? 
I don't think anybody died on that one. I think oh. somehow, somehow it was a, a peaceful situation. And this but, is true, uh, right? This actually happened. But this did happen, and uh, yeah, basically in California, there was an armed FBI raid on Dakota USA's uh, facility. So I thought that was a that's an interesting crazy. piece of news. Well, what do you, what kind of an effect do you think that's going to have on Ducati? So that that was kind of where I wanted to go with this is. I don't know that, uh, well, I, I do know that thus far I haven't seen any news that expresses exactly what happened or why it happened, um, what they were there for or looking for, or, you know, any of that is, is still kind of up in the air. Although if there's any charges that end up being pressed or any, you know, any fraud or something along those lines, something that would be reported or public knowledge, obviously, uh, you know, that'll all come to light soon enough once uh, once the investigation is is complete or at least moves to a stage that no longer needs to be uh, hidden. But yeah, that was my thought. What, uh, what's this going to do for Ducati? I mean, well, I think it really depends on what it is, right? It sounded like, and I, I've read the articles too. I know we were just playing this up, but uh, <laughs> it seemed like that it wasn't potentially the only location either. Right. Did you see something about that or along those lines? I did. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of... I know it also included their homes, but I don't believe that it was the only uh, like dealership or headquarters or anything along those lines. I think it was multiple locations. So I, I definitely got that it was multiple locations. I also got a lot of connection with Volkswagen, which I know that there is in the U.S. market, a, a partnership with Ducati USA and Volkswagen USA. Um, but it, it wasn't clear. So all of it was kind of conjecture there wasn't a ton of facts other than from people that were in the plant or in the facility you know their actual records of you know this happened on this day with roughly 30 fbi armed fbi individuals and that number varies based on who you talk to but but what huh this is ridiculous okay so (laughs) (laughs) we we talk about so wasn't there news earlier this uh this last year 2020 i guess about Volkswagen killing off Ducati potentially. And I know that there was talk of the supercar segment and getting rid of some of that, but but I thought it also included Ducati. Do you remember anything along those lines? I I remember that Volkswagen was making cuts. I don't remember specifically Ducati in the list, but it would make sense. It could have been speculation. It could have been speculation. But but soon and I'd forgotten their relationship until you mentioned this just recently. But now I've got a couple ideas of like what may have happened. Can we at least go down that small rabbit hole for just a Absolutely. couple of seconds? So so okay, so you say Volkswagen, I'm like, boom, okay, it's emissions, right? It has to be emissions. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. Went the same route. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so I could see something along those lines and, and it and it's not that cars are more severe than bicycles, even though, or motorcycles, even though we know that one produces a lot more, but what, like how much is that being driven? I just don't know how much the emissions market is at, or like emissions standards are affecting uh, motorcycles and how strict that is. I, I know that it probably is, but like how, I don't know how that is all playing out. So at least, okay, I'm thinking, well, maybe that, but why would they be going for the America's headquarters unless they were trying to get proof of data or of actually having additional like test data that states that they don't perform as well? I just don't really think that's the case. So then my mind goes down, okay, was this like IRS tax fraud? And 
it, how is that affecting, like, do you foresee that maybe being the, the issue? It, it definitely seemed, I mean, it was clear that it was something obviously fraud related being the FBI. Um, and, and it definitely seemed related to the U S facility in California. So that helps support, right? If there's going to be a state that's going to go after an emissions problem, yeah. it's going to be California. I mean, that's the right place to head it off because that's generally the front of the the emissions battle, right? For better or worse, if there's a problem with emissions or, or you know, gases or, or whatever, it's usually coming from California. And then, uh, you know, but the articles I read, they all kind of differed. Really, that was the only the only solid thing that was consistent is a number of people raided. It was in the California facility, might have been other facilities, and it might be related to to uh, Volkswagen. And those are kind of the same notes throughout all the articles I read. Um, but that you know that that could point to emissions. But it, my thought was more the second part of what your thought was is that it was something more related to whether it be tax fraud or some financial fraud issue. Something right, that yeah, relates like to a money, money laundering problem. or yeah. something along those lines. The fact that Volkswagen was alluded to in number a number of these articles, I wonder if it was a way to support some of the, the games that were played there. And it's more so just a leadership issue where maybe not money laundering, but information laundering, right? Hiding of data on a subsidiary, right? Putting some of that information onto Ducati. Um, or at least leaving it in that boat to help support another battle. It may not even be Ducati related. It could just be where some of the information was stored because they are, uh, you know, basically married within the U.S. market. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't see them data sharing too much between Volkswagen, uh, like for the most part, but between the two. I, I would imagine, as in most cases, those kind of end up being held separately, managed separately. I mean, can you imagine uh, legal battles where, you start digging and going through the rabbit hole and you're like, Oh, well now we can start digging through, you know, this other corporation, right? They, they like to keep those things separate. So this is where all the design files, all the emails are stored, all of our cloud store, whatever it may be. So maybe I'm not saying that that's incorrect. I'm just trying to figure out kind of where this, you know, try to tie it together to your point earlier, we're not going to know, but I'm, I guess the reason why I ask and why I'm trying to see if going down the rabbit hole makes sense is because I think that really makes an impact on public perception. Now, if it's a couple people within the corporation that were doing some really sly and uh, um, uh, illegal activities, you know, that doesn't really have as much, I don't think that has as much of an impact unless it was given the blessing by the corporation. Uh, but when we start talking about emissions, which is why I brought it up, even though I think that's probably a little less likely, but but emissions potentially has a bigger impact. I think less so for a motorcycle corporation than an automobile manufacturer like Volkswagen, you know, going back to the, the Dieselgate uh, scandal or whatever it was called. Um, so, I mean, how how big of an impact can it have? Like, I don't know. I, I Right now, I don't think it's going to have any. I, that that was my thought. I was going to argue with you that I I don't know that people care. I mean, you you've got your Cowie uh, or you you like the Indian Scout. Let's just run that route because we've talked enough episodes that if you had a new cruiser, it would be a Scout. Yeah. You know, if if Indian suddenly came out and you found out that the exhaust they put on or the catalytic converter, the whole setup, you know, bought an extra ten horsepower because they're fudging the numbers on their emissions, 
you know, would that stop you from running a scout? You've ridden one. Would you care? Oh, I'd be pissed because the new exhaust setup that I just bought was 10 horsepower more. And you're telling me that it had 10 horsepower more than you guys claimed it did? Oh. Or, I mean, more I know, so. I know what you're saying. So, no, I wouldn't care. Because, you know, whether it was exhaust or not, unless it's something that is detrimental to my safety or actual um, uh, longevity of the motorcycle. Those would be the two that would be most likely to impact my perception and my continued usage of said motorcycle. Now, if it was performance, I'd be disappointed. If it was like they said that it had 20 horsepower more and 30 foot-pounds of torque more than what, uh, they claim that, but it actually is a lot less, I'd just be a little irritated. And a little bit pissed off and stuff. But, I, you know, I don't know that based on how I enjoyed the motorcycle, I don't think that that would really kill it. It would be something in the back of your mind, but it wouldn't kill the brand. I mean, that, that's exactly my point is is when you buy a motorcycle, granted, there are situations that you are a numbers player, right? If you're looking for the top of the line personal sport bike for track days, then you probably want an RR, right? A 1000 RR because on paper, it's got everything. You know, you want the Jixer with the most power. You want to go maybe back a model year because it's got a little bit more power to weight. That right. stuff matters. But when you're buying a day-to-day cruiser, I don't think it matters, man. You're going to ride it. You're going to feel what it feels like. And if the numbers are 100 or the numbers are 90, who cares? It's the seat of the pants feel that matters, right? Nobody cares about what's on paper. I mean, my my Scrambler, best example of that ever. That Triumph Scrambler on paper is a gutless wonder, yet the horsepower or the torque comes in low enough in the RPM that it was still very fun to ride. It's still a good seat of the pants feel, even though it, you know, it, it doesn't have really anything to show off on paper at, you know, I think what was it? 70 horsepower at, in its best moments. Um, you know, for a 900, that's low. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the biggest influence for the perception and, um, desirability of a motorcycle is going to be what it's like when you're riding it. Like it's not going to be what you hear. Maybe it'll influence a little bit. You hear something about the OEM. Okay. Maybe that, maybe that influences a little bit, but what's going to really wear you out on a motorcycle and make you want to get a new one. Isn't because of that information. It's more likely that you have a heightened awareness of what you want what your desired motorcycle is because now you've spent time in the saddle of something that you thought was what you wanted, but you've learned that, man, I really do want a little bit more top end, or I really do only care about that bottom end, or man, I just want to be able to get out and cruise and I'm tired of having to deal with all this other stuff. Right. So I, I don't think that it's going to be what the name brand is. Now, you know, there are some instances if you get out and you're around a lot of Harley riders, let's say, and you're riding a, and you're going cruising and you're around them quite a bit, you're going to get heckled frequently, potentially, because you're not riding a Harley. And that's just what's going to come of it. I mean, I think that's just known uh, that, you know, that's the crowd that you're in. And that's just the kind of culture. And they're probably just most likely just teasing you and they uh, secretly want to ride your bike to see how much uh, worse or better it is. But um, I think that, uh, yeah... I, I don't know. I don't know how much, how much it takes to to destroy the image of a corporation. So that that that's the big picture I want to get to, right? What does it take to affect? I mean, maybe not destroy the image, right? But to affect uh, a brand, right? How do we 
how do we kill a brand? What can we do to kill a brand or what can a brand do to kill themselves? I mean, let's look at Ducati, right? It's got a reputation. It's got bikes that people know, it, performance that people know. It's got different characteristics that people know. Let, let's go down some theoreticals here. This is an okay. issue with emissions such that they've got to change their exhaust, change their performance criteria, change the curves, and set it up so it is a little less powerful in a noticeable way. Is that going to affect Ducati sales? Uh, well, you, you know, that's part of Ducati, right? Is your It's perceived, so it's the aesthetics. It's the sexiness, if you will. Uh, that's at least one um, avenue that I think people see when they look at a Ducati and they look at the brand and the, the image that that has or portrays. Uh, the other is, you know, performance and potentially, you know, I don't know if it's cutting edge or bleeding edge, but it's, it's you know, near the top in performance in a lot of ways for each of its classes it's in. So you take away some of that, and I think that, yeah, maybe it'll influence it a little bit, but Ducati's smart, and they'll turn back around and they'll invest back in. So if it's a significant or substantial detriment to the performance, it's only going to be a short time before they have what they need to be to be competitive again. Let's take this another step then, because, you know, we're talking from our Pacific Northwest roots. Right. We know what's expected from a, a criteria here with regards to emission standards, all of that. Quite frankly, we're both fortunate that motorcycles fly under the radar in both states that we live in. Um, but we're close enough to California that that's a very real thing that we see from time to time in our area. Okay. You know, a lot of our listeners are in, you know, Kentucky, uh, the Midwest. They're in, you know, the, the East Coast, Florida, Texas. You know, we're all over the place. Right. So in other states or other locations, are they going to care? Is this because we're close enough to California that maybe we're sensitive to this emissions game? Is it the the fact that really this news doesn't matter anywhere else? No, but I, I think it goes back to the perceived, you know, when I think of Volkswagen and I think of FBI, I think of the emissions scandal. I think that's the only reason why I'm going down that path, at least with Ducati, because there's that association. I mean, is there a reason why you're going down that path uh, that's different than what I've stated? No, I mean, it's definitely the association. Uh, but even if it's, let's say it's a financial sc scandal, I mean, whatever it is, right, is that going to change the buyer? Right? Obviously, there'll have to be changes within the company of Ducati. They're going to have to be somebody's going to have to pay for it. They're going to fire somebody or somebody's going to quit. If the FBI raided a facility, something's going to change within the company. But I just don't know that in any case, whether it's performance based, financially based, whatever, as long as they've got enough you know, money to survive. And I'm sure that they do through this. Um, you know, I it's not going to I just don't think we're going to see a dip in sales. I don't think we're going to see really any effect from the Ducati standpoint. In fact, you know, it might even be one of those all news is good news situations that brings more fame and, and more people are buying them because they're at the front of the news article. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it would really take as far as money and the court is concerned and any scandal that may be taking place or may not be taking place to that fact, uh, that it would have to be something pretty crazy, like mind blowing. What kind of a thought uh, or, or, or statement that's being made, like uh, putting money into some um, underground trafficking, like human trafficking scheme. And I don't think we're going to have anything. Quite the like statement that. there, buddy. 
<laughs> well, I know. I'm just trying to think of like, what would it take? Like, what kind of a like, what would have to be stated about them to go, whoa, that's what Ducati, that's what they do. Like, are you serious? I think it would have to take something like that. So I had to come up with something that's kind of drastic. I, I, I don't believe that that's going to be the case by any means. And, and it's just horrible. And I'm not joking about how horrible that scenario w- would be or is in certain areas of the world. But, but like, I think that's how severe it would have to be. Cause I'm thinking, okay, so they overcharged, you know, $500 a motorcycle, you know, is that going to make a big deal? No, nobody, no. I mean, they're going to be a little bit frustrated. Maybe they don't, they don't care. They got their bike and it was pretty close to what they would have paid anywhere else. Right. It has to be substantial. Like, or that there is some, like, safety, safety, safety critical item that that they haven't told anybody about that is putting every single motorcycle's, motorcycle rider's life in danger. And then not only do they do that for a short period of time, but if we found out that it had been taking place for a five to ten year period of time and that all motorcycle accidents and deaths were um, like the majority of them of who was people who were riding a Ducati was due to that safety issue that kills a brand. I think that yeah. would kill the brand. I think, I think there's enough of us that are, are aware and, and present in the motorcycle world that if that were the case, we'd already know it. You know what I mean? That wouldn't be a surprise or something right. the FBI would magically find out about. Right. That's very, that, that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just, Theoretically, no, what would it take to kill it? And I think that's the kind of stuff that kills a corporation. And so it, it, there's just a lot of news because uh, one, things kind of get overblown in the media. And, and also people want to hear about something different than, than the other crap that's kind of going on right now anyway. So, I mean, because a lot of the times, what, 40 years ago, would we have ever really heard that the FBI raided a corporation? Probably not. Or it would have been even later, right? Sure. Well, and that, I guess that's that's kind of the nail, at least in this portion of the conversation for me is, I guess I was surprised to find out on, what was it, the 8th, I think is when, when I saw my first article, um, you know, something had happened on the 17th of December. In today's world where news seems to happen, I seem to have an article on the news or uh, uh, something on YouTube or on the news uh, station, you know, an hour before it even happens. I was surprised that it was almost a month later. Uh, that I saw that, but you know, even shifting gears from there, let, let's get into killing a killing a brand. Let's look. I mean, one brand that I think has been having the discussion of of issues and a dying brand, depending on who you ask. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, that go very negatively sometimes in the marketing conversation or the the sales conversation is Harley. So, what can Harley do? to kill their brand is is there a case that because they are switching gears and going to adventure bikes and street bikes is that going to kill harley well okay let's let's pull it okay so we've talked about ducati and i think it's relatively fair because uh they were in the news and that introduced uh today's today's segment let's disassociate it with any oem can we do that and, and the reason why i'm saying that is i don't want to have this discussion about the possibilities i just don't think it's fair to any uh, oem to use them as an example in this segment let's just assume a non-branded corporation well-known that produces a, a vast array of uh, motorcycles is, is that does that sound fair 
I think that's fair. Okay. And then, okay, so we've talked about, I, I talked about at least two examples. One is some crazy funding or campaigning that is completely in outer space as far as either uh, political or social correct, correctness is concerned. Okay. That's what I use the human term. I think that's a, a very valid statement as well. I think if if it's found, if, if an industry or a company is making choices that are, I guess we can't say universally because there's always somebody that agrees with something, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, but that is generally on a vast majority scale found to be negative, bad, something that we should not be associating with, that full association and admitted association I think would kill a brand. I think there are enough people that would say, I will not support that, 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 that would kill a brand. Right. And it, they may recover from it, but it's going to take a long duration to do. So. And a full re I mean, a full reset. I mean, I don't think you recover from that. You know, your, your product may speak for itself, but you can't have anyone from management, probably mid-level up that remains without a very clear alibi to not being associated. Right. And, and the whole company, it, it becomes different. It becomes yep. completely different. You'd have to reset every conversation from then on out using the same name, brand, whatever it may be, is immediately associated. Like people immediately associate to the negative. So it, I mean, it, it's it's devastating um, in that regard, and and in some of the other examples that we may come up with as well. But that's the that's the that's why this is so interesting of a conversation because. When we say that we kill a brand, I mean, you, it annihilates it and what our perception in its entirety is of that um, product for a long time, for a very long time. I think, yeah, it has a, a pretty prolonged effect. I mean, we, there have been a few, few companies, um, I, don't, I can't think of any specifically in the motorcycle industry offhand that have, have had that kind of a situation, but. There have obviously been companies within history that have had that, and they either go away. I mean, usually it's a permanent removal or at least a market loss, right? In a certain region of the world, they're basically uninvited. Right. And it has to be something that is, you know, going back to our social or political correctness statement, it has to be something that's relevant within the last, let's say, 50 years. Because, you know, with, with a lot of things, you look back and what was okay and was widely accepted it was just the norm in you know the the late 1900s and first 20th century the first of the 20th century are practices that would not be um acceptable today and that would lead to this kind of a killing of a brand now and that we look back in the past and we say that that was bad and that's negative but uh you know i can't faulted that much other than that was crazy that they did it that way that there was child yeah. labor or whatever it was, I, right? I mean maybe child labor. i was even thinking just full full political incorrect support we look at world war ii german engineering obviously those brands are still thriving you know mercedes volkswagen thriving and doing well today because we've all turned that corner right right yeah. and that shows so, you that also shows you how, how long it kind of took i mean volkswagen and they've been around for a while and but they've really had some substantial growth in the last 20 years to then have a uh, uh, emissions scandal in the middle of that. That didn't help them any. But, okay, 
So we've kind of set the background on that a little bit. Uh, I think everybody can kind of understand how that would affect things. I've got some other examples, but I'm excited and or at least intrigued to hear at least one of yours. I think I think one of my biggest brand killers is a universal quality issue. Um, I think you know you can get into safety critical systems, you can get into you know anything like that, and I, I don't I don't even think that matters. I mean, obviously, safety critical is going to be more obvious and brought up quicker. But I think if you've got quality and reliability issues where things are are not holding together, you don't last. Um, I think we've seen a number of little guys show up to try to compete in the market with subpar quality, uh, whether that be some some manufacturers from other other locations, you know, whether that be U.S. based manufacturers. If you can't get something to compete and be on par with current motorcycle reliability, uh, whether that be just engine reliability or actual components on it in a competitive price, you know, I, I don't think that you can you can live. I, I think that kills a brand. So if you've got some issue where you throw a new engine, let's, uh, you know, manufacturer A, right? We're talking about a random manufacturer that is currently making high quality components, high quality motorcycles. They have a new engine that we're going to release this month. Uh, and we decided that we needed to be first to market because it's some new technology. So we skipped out on some testing uh, and that ends up having some pretty high scale reliability issues where a large percentage, uh, basically 50% roughly are having failure issues early life. I think that's going to kill the brand image and will take years to recover. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I mean, you can look back and it, there's still sour spots. I mean, my dad won't buy certain uh, manufacturers of vehicles because there was a certain period of time where their electronic systems were just crap. Now, to be fair, and I'm not even using the OEM's name, but I mean, a, a lot of them during this era were having issues as people were just, you know, trying to mass produce and integrate like uh, roll up windows uh, in all many, uh, in all vehicles. They've been around for a long time. But anyway, uh, you know, those are kind of things that, that they have an impact. And so at what point does something go from having an impact that becomes a thorn to then becoming a, uh, a, like, let's say a log in somebody's eye and they can't see past it. Right. And that that's when it kills the brand. And I, yeah, I think, you know, they're depending on the size of, you know, our, our made up manufacturer, right. If you've got 30 something models and this is just one that has a problem, I think you can recover. The Ford Pinot is the perfect example. Obviously, Ford's still doing fine. Pinot never recovered, right? That that had a flaw, a quality issue that, that never made it out. But the brand itself had enough of a diversified market that it did fine. But if you're a you know a smaller, maybe you make just adventure bikes. Maybe you're specific. You know, you specify in a in a certain market, uh, and you're that specific in that area. You know, if you've got a problem within that area, I think it, it even on a smaller issue you end up with something that kills, uh, you know, that, that can kill your industry. They can kill your market share and, and possibly even bring you under depending on what you're doing. So, you know, quality is key. I think, uh, you know, obviously from where I'm at, from a professional standpoint, that, that that's something that's always on the front of my mind here. But um, at the same point, it, you know, it it makes a difference. You know, that, that goes around the forums, that goes around your word of mouth advertising. You know, if you've got bikes that are less than, less than capable of keeping up with the general market around them when it comes to maintenance intervals, the amount of maintenance required and the quality of the components, 
you know, people find out very quickly from the kind of advertising that you don't forget, right? If it's written an article or two, I think, you know, you get over that pretty quick. But when everybody you're talking to mentions that company X has this problem and, you know, multiple people personally that have had that problem, it's hard to get past. Yeah, I think it and it has to go across the entire product line and their offerings, because one of the things that uh, saved forward in some of these instances is one, they had uh, products that were doing very well and that didn't have the same issues, let's say, as the Ford Pinto and uh, the exploding uh, rear end. So, um, so I think that differentiation between your product lines is critical. And so one way that you can do that is, you know, in one instance, uh, an OEM wants to use the same, let's say, uh, brake cable on all of their motorcycles, and maybe it's just a change in length. But if there's a fundamental flaw in that that creates reliability and then that affects the entire product line, then that becomes really substantial. Now, if it only affects, let's say, their cruisers or their adventure bikes, it can have a major impact, but I think it's easier to recover from something like that and say, whoa, whoa, that was a that was an issue. We investigated that. We've settled claims on that, but uh, this is still doing good. This doesn't have this issue. This cruiser is awesome, and you guys can take this, and you're not going to have any issues, right? And they can point to all of their data and you know warranty claims for the last you know three years or however long it is to prove that. So something that goes across the vast product line, that's where it, it also has a major impact. And it's something like, well, you had problems with brake cables this year. And last year, you had problems with your heads-up display. And the year before that, it was the seat cushion falling apart. And the year before that, it was the injectors would uh, go out, right? So it's like, well, it was one thing after another that you guys don't even know what you're doing. Like, who wants to buy this, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be bringing it into the manufacturer all the time because of this one instance, right? Or of whatever it may be. Yeah, and I think that leads perfectly into what I was going to let you go, but I'm going to take over anyway because your lead-in is perfect. The only thing that makes that worse is poor service. Yeah. Um, if you have right, even if you've got the highest quality components, yet your service technicians are untrained, uh, you're difficult to get in. You're you're um, return time, right? Your, your tack time is bad. Uh, if all of that, right. If, if your bike is a nightmare to bring into service, um, or to have serviced or to work with as a company, if you're not good about putting the customer first, or at least making them think you are, you know, that's hard to recover from as well, because that also goes around uh, word of mouth very quickly that, Hey, I had my bike in and it was a pain in the butt. And that that goes so fast from, uh, you know, rider to rider on word of mouth that that I think that can really start bringing down a, a brand as well. No, absolutely. In a lot of places, it's their service segment that uh, keeps them afloat, man. So you really want to have people regularly bringing in their bikes for their regular service. Yeah, it's really expensive. And we've talked about this in the past. I guess I shouldn't say it's really expensive. It, what I'm trying to say is it costs money to bring your bike in. and But you want to know that when you bring it in, that it's getting taken care of. Not everybody wants to have uh, a home shop where they do things. And there's some things that I still will take in, as we've discussed in the past, to have somebody else do, like mounting wheels and, and maybe for certain setups, you know, adjusting valves, just depending on how, how that is, because they're all a little bit 
bit different. Um, so I, I completely agree that a poor service, and I'm going to include because this is in the same, uh, usually in the same building in a lot of cases, uh, your your actual sales floor and your salespeople and you know how you're how you're marketing yourself and how you set yourself up. What kind of a culture are you creating? And I know that's kind of expanding and maybe outside of what you were thinking, but I think that that's kind of a whole package. And, and we've discussed that as well. We've talked about a lot of these things where, you know, it's really critical that you want people to come in, create an environment where they feel welcome that they come in and just uh, shoot the breeze with you and uh, they can get their oil changed and, or, They've been having this problem with lifter noise and it's not going away and it's still under warranty. But I know that when I take it in, that these guys are going to fix it up. It's going to be right. I'm going to get some coffee while I'm there because that's important to me. And then uh, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to leave and I'm going to have my bike back and I can get back on the road and I can get back on the road, you know, quickly. Right. So uh, I think that's definitely uh, critical. I think that's a good point. And I'll, I'll say this for any, you know, for all of our listeners that either work at a, at a dealership or manufacturer, if someone comes in and says, you know, they've got a little lifter noise that bothers them, the answer is never that's normal. Even if that really is the answer, that's not the answer they want to hear. If they're complaining about it, they perceive an issue, try to do something about it. Check, look, at least put eyes on the issue. Don't just say, oh, yeah, everybody talks about that because that's going to only perpetuate that death. Right. I mean, it's it's very and, and I know that you and I are, are mechanically minded and we've been around this stuff for a while. And, and then just certain types of of lifters and, and that setup is a little bit louder than other uh, other types. And so and, and sometimes you just get heightened awareness into something. And even if there's not an issue there, that's all of a sudden what you hear. And so you just want to get it checked out, at least start the conversation with. Well, that's definitely something that we can look at. Um, and then they can look at it and then have the conversation. I mean, they're going to get, I mean, it, it gets difficult when it's like a warranty and it costs them time and everything else. And I kind of get that side of it as well. But you're pay, having somebody get, come in that's a paying customer that even if it's not going to be paid for right now because it's under warranty, that you want them to return, right? You want them to keep coming back, that at least look at it. Have them start it up. That's all it takes. Listen for it. And if it sounds what you, like what you call normal, then you go back and you explain to the customer the mechanical system and why you're going to have a little bit of lifter noise with that kind of a setup. I mean, because some you're just going to have just a little bit, and that's just how it's designed, right? As far as I'm concerned, take your time. Find a YouTube video. If it's a new enough bike, find a showroom bike that matches it and show them. Um I've heard too many stories of of somebody being told, and these really in the more recent future, more recent past. I guess we can't do recent future because it hasn't happened. In the more <laughs> recent past, um, you know, I, I haven't heard this in a while, but I used to hear a lot of people showing up to a dealership, showing up to their local shop, and just being told, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, don't worry about it; it's normal." And you know, the fact that no time other than listening for three seconds to the question was spent makes it a very questionable, right? You you don't know that it's normal until you hear it. You don't right. know that it's normal until you've taken a look at what's happening. For all you know, there's a rock slammed into the side of it in a small hole or a broken fin on the air-cooled case. And, you know, it, it isn't normal and it could use either repair or something that you can't fix. Who knows? But without looking at it or listening to it, you don't really know that. 
Yeah, that was a very specific example. So I just wanted to thank you for that, Addison, that we went down. Yep, you're welcome. The, valve noise um, uh, rabbit hole. But, I mean, it's real, and, and it's a great point. One of many that, that many others could probably make as well uh, regarding um, experiences at service stations, and that's why it's 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 important. Uh, I think that, you know, that's not as much of a killer for a brand name unless that's the culture at all dealerships. Well, uh, that, that's but, what I was trying to get again, at in my comment is that it's not necessarily a uh, you know, uh, it, it can be because that is all training, right? Every technician should be trained, factory trained. If it's a factory dealership, they should be factory trained. They should hold a certain, you know, amount of decorum that is expected by, you know, factory A, B, or C, right? Dealer A, B, or C. It doesn't really matter, um, you know, what else is happening. If, if you've taught your group, from the management down, right, all the way from the CEO down to your temporary technician, seasonal technician, or seasonal sales floor guy, uh, or you know, unboxer, put stuff in the recycling person, whatever. They should all be trained in the same company standards, and that's something that I, I mean, I know we're not saying brands, but from a Harley standpoint, I don't own a Harley. I don't really have near-term plans to buy a Harley, but I love hanging out at Harley dealerships. Because generally, I get incredible service, even from guys that know I'm not buying. Yeah. Um, because they have a good culture that's being kind of fed down from the top down. And they and do a good job of making sure you're going to uphold that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, and that's good. The same can happen the other way, right? You can just not teach any of that and have dealers that are going rogue all day because nobody's ever told them differently. And they're just doing whatever they think is best. And if that doesn't follow your brand, then you should have taught them. Yeah. And I've seen dealerships that do that or manufacturers that do that. Um, there are a lot of different manufacturers out there that, you know, you buy a franchise. We don't care. We just want you to pay the franchise money. Do what you want with it. And that doesn't help, right? If you want brand loyalty or if you don't want something as simple as a bad service situation to start killing your brand, you need to train that. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I think a lot of big OEMs... Uh, you know they're they're doing these things, but uh, it just shows how critical it really is, and and uh, being very um, diligent as an individual franchise owner to um, implement and continue to grow and follow the market. And so I'll lead into. I, I mean, I want to make a quick statement. I think safety is super critical. We've mentioned it multiple times that. Um, you know, if you've got a, a, a product that even if it's reliable and it doesn't break down, but it is completely unsafe um, at any speed, as Nader said once for the Corvair, which wasn't true. But um, <laughs> but if that's that kind of a thing where you just design a product that isn't safe and, and people die, that's 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 horrible. And you're, you're going to kill your brand. But um, also to that um, there's other things that can impact it. I mean, one, you, you mentioned this as well. I've already forgot what I was going to say earlier, but anyway, (laughs) this is, this is another one that'll kill it. Right. And you mentioned this at the very beginning, um, completely going away from your customer base, right? If you're not going to be producing motorcycles that people want to buy, well then you ain't going to be around for very long. 
and or you're going to be lowering the price so much that you you can't keep afloat. So, I mean, being able to follow your market and market trends is important. And we've seen OEMs trying to do that, even if they're a little late to the game. Sometimes we question it, you know, but uh, that's that's really important if you want to stay where the money is. You got to stay where the money is because you make stockholders and uh, uh, everybody else uh, money as well. And that drives a lot of craziness. and it's amazing how much the stock market drives things, but but you have to have sales to get that up. Now you're talking about following the market, but what about not ever changing what you've got? Do you think that has an effect? I think it depends because and you really wanted to bring up OEMs this entire time that I said not to, because I think we can think of who you're who you're potentially associating this with. But oh, I, I think, think you're wrong. I have something very specific in my head, and I don't think it's who you think. Okay. Um, I think that it can, and it can't. That's a horrible, vague answer, but, <laughs> but that's, that's what I'm going to start off with. And, and the reason why I'm going to say that is because a, having a name of any sort and it being associated with a specific product line, however small that may be, however small within the large segment of motorcycles is, and I'm talking with my hands again, so people know um, that <laughs> if you fall out and you're not following the trend and you're not keeping up with sales volume and market share of the entirety of the market, but that you have brand loyalty, that you can stay afloat and you actually create a premium. And we've talked about this briefly, but in, in previous episodes, but you create a premium on your product because the demand and the supply are different, that they're not proportional. So there's a small demand. While you reduce the supply, you increase the price. There's some things that you can do, and then you can own this smaller segment. And you can just have a premium product offering. It may not be what they want to do. It may not be as large of a corporation, but I don't think you can kill the brand. And I think within that small segment, if let's say that OEM goes, we're not making money anymore and we've got too much overhead costs, they can sell that to another corporation that's still doing well and they could own that name brand still. So that name would not uh, be destroyed. It would not be killed. It would be it would be held on to for a period of time. We we saw that with Indian to some extent it was a big deal for a long time. Kind of trailed off, kind of came back a little bit, and then was purchased by Polaris. That would be my example for that. Okay. But then there's the example where you don't really have this really strong following, and people you know aren't you're not following the market. And so you keep on losing, losing, losing. And people are like, well, you did a whole bunch of things kind of mediocre. Uh, well, I could just go to another brand for any of those things and have a better bike than you. Then, yeah, you're not following the trend and you're going to be off the map. And that's why I was wishy-washy and vague with my initial answer. So I, I just want to play this game for the fun of it. Um, I know who you think. I don't know if I know who you think I was talking about. But I want to know who you think I was talking about. So on the count of three, we're both going to say what you think I was talking about. And I'll say what I was talking about. Got it? Mm-hmm. All right. One, two, three, KLR 650. Where were you? 
<laughs> okay, that, no, the, we, we were talking about an OEM. You're talking about a specific product. How can you do that? How can you do that? Well, that's they what I'm talking about. They killed it themselves. I what know, that but up until two it? years ago, was that one of the, the bikes that was right not changed? It hadn't changed in 20 years. 30 that years. might be a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> well, depending on how you define change. That may be okay. an exaggeration above or below, right. but, <laughs> but you know, that, that was kind of what I was thinking is, you know, th- that's been around, that was around forever and now they're looking to make a pivot. So I think that's the right choice, but can it would holding on to that for another 10 years be something that could kill Cowie for being an unchanging manufacturer was my thought on that. Now I don't, if emission like said, we're not going to dive did in, not change if emission standards did not change. And the bike continued to be at least useful within its product segment and at a price point that was acceptable, then I think it would have been okay. And it sounds crazy, but they did it for 30 years. They did it the same way on the KLR 250, like the one that I have, that they finally refreshed it and then it became a KLX 250. And now we've got the KLX 300 and they're kind of refreshing some of that. And I'm kind of anticipating that they're going to do the same with the KLR. Um, Understood. That, that was just, I, I was hoping to play that game, but you, you suck. Right. Okay. So the manufacturer that I was thinking of was Harley Davidson. We've had conversations. I, I know. I figured that's what you meant, but you knew. it would have been more fun if we both played I was going to say like Royal Enfield or something like that to be smart during our thing, but uh, I just wanted to hear what you had to say. It's so right. like being in there. Um, Terrible game. And I, th- I still think Harley is doing fine. It's just not the growth rate that people would like to see because they're seeing it in other manufacturers. No, your example was was clear who you thought and, and the way that you described what, what a company can do. Because I think they've done a pretty good job, especially as of late, of doubling down on their core competency for the highest profit possible, which, you know, like it or like it, love it or hate it. You know, that, that's the right move from a corporation. So. Right. Anybody that's been listening to us, well, I guess it's been uh, several episodes ago, but I was uh, I alluded to the say, to that same information. You can reference that for for our in-depth uh, conversation regarding um, Harley-Davidson. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I think we could keep on going on and on with, with some different things. It seems like I had another one that was a, a big... Uh, Big issue. Did you or a potential for uh, killing a brand? Uh, did you have anything else, Addison, that uh, really stuck out to you that would be like serious? Like, I mean, I think it's it's. I guess the point that I I really wanted to get across, big picture wise, on this is that it, it's not really that easy to kill a brand. Yet there have been some that have succeeded, right? Uh, succeeded or failed, whatever you want to call it, failed as a company, but succeeded in killing themselves, Um, you know, based on choices made. Usually that is really one of two things kind of as discussed that we'll see that they've made the wrong choice as to who to affiliate with. uh, And that has caused some form of cannibalization, whether that be social or financial um, to where they've picked a group that either just eats them alive and takes all the profits and, and doesn't allow them to grow or change. And they basically just start to dissolve. Um, or they've picked to affiliate and finance and back or be backed by some organization that is pretty much universally hated, and then no one supports them from a, a social standpoint any longer. Uh, that's probably the most common, and you brought that up pretty early on. Um, the other thing that you see is is often companies that that are basically from a certain point, maybe not unbeknownst to the consumer, that are really just there for a financial 
gain is maybe the best way to say it, right? You see companies, you see manufacturers um, show up really just to make a buck and kind of run that dollar out as long as they can and never really grow change. And that was kind of what I was alluding to with my last question um, is I've seen that where you get a company that has their kind of one to two trick pony. They play that game as till it plays out and they never really update or change it so that it's all profits at a certain point. And they just run that until the cash runs out and retire on it. Right. And usually that's the smaller company. Cause you've got, like I said, one or two trick ponies. You don't have five, six, 20 different, uh, different models or different, different vehicles to lean on. Um, but you know, especially when things get tough financially as a, as an economy or a world economy, uh, you know, those, those kinds of companies are often the ones that will be quick to, to close doors and just take the money that they've got and run. Um, you know, like I said, good, bad, or indifferent, it is probably the right choice from a financial perspective, not to put yourself in ruin, um, just because you love that product. But that's one thing that for me is kind of a big killer because I, I like to see a brand that seems honestly passionate about what they're doing. Um, that's one thing, you know, I, I know we're not talking specifics, but I, everybody knows I love triumphs despite maybe some of the hiccups I've had in the past. Um, but I, I, I like the bikes because they design bikes that they would want to ride. Um, any conversation I've had with dealers, manufacturer, you know, manufacturing people that I've spoken with, whether it be on the phone or via forums and ability to talk to, to those that are their support, the design and engineering. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of passion there that, that they're, they're designing bikes that they love. And I think that's the case with most of these big OEM manufacturers. They've done a really good job of getting the right people in the organization to make bikes that they love. They're not just in there to get a paycheck and go home they tend to actually be passionate about motorcycles and passionate about specifically the brand that they work for. Um, and I think that's really important, but that's something I can see uh, and have seen kill certain, certain manufacturers in the past is when nobody cares anymore. They're just putting it right. They're slinging metal and not really concerned about what the name behind that means. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think that, well, I think that a lot of it comes down to, you know, we've talked about it, reliability and adaptability, whether the adapting may be consumer market or emissions. I think that's a huge one. If you can't keep up with that, then you can't sell a motorcycle that'll kill a brand. Or like the, the stock market and people and watching how you're spending your money and if you're squandering it and you're not producing, then that'll start killing a brand as well. It's easier to recover from, but that would be, be another one. So and that was a really interesting brain exercise, man, trying to kind of think through what, what, how critical certain aspects of a manufacturer of any product line. We've talked about motorcycles, but I think a lot of this can apply to anyone. Sure. How, how critical some of these, these, um, these attributes are to our perception and, and our actual final outcome of making a purchase. Yeah, I think I think it was also especially after, you know, we we've talked about having this discussion for a few days now and it really has caused my my reality to to maybe shift a little bit, a little bit of a paradigm shift in how how hard it is to actually kill a brand. I mean, as much as we'd love to say we have that power as a consumer, um a lot of these big names have a far enough reach that that if they, you know, do something that you don't like, 
you know, you can really fight for yourself and, and fend for yourself and, and survive as that single buyer and, you know, maybe not stakeholder in a financial standpoint, but, you know, social stakeholder in that business. But really, you know, these, these brands are here to stay. And, and especially if you love a certain, a certain brand, or if you love, right, let's just take this even, even bigger. Let's step back even further. If, you know, those of us that love the motorcycle industry, really all it takes to, to make it through something like a pandemic, let's say, I don't know what, you know, why we would worry about that, but you know, any of these things that might affect the, the economy of an industry that we love, all it takes is just a little support, right? Talk good about it, share it with your friends and, and support the specific brands or companies that you like and that you trust. And, you know, and, and really it's hard to, to kill them off. Um, from a big picture. Now the little guys and the, the mom and pa shops are definitely more affected by, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about. A subtle change can actually do a lot to kill a smaller shop. And some of that has to do with cash reserve too, and being able to sustain yourself for an extended period of time without additional revenue income. And that's kind of exactly the effect of, of each of these things we talked about chain varies based on the size of the business. Um, But at the same point, you know, if you're, if you're doing the right things and making the right choices and kind of not necessarily just for you, because we all know some people end up misguided or making a bad choice that seems like the right choice for them. When, if you take a step back, you know, it may not have been, but if you're, you're doing your best, you know, these companies are going to stay around. So, you know, that, that's my hope. And I guess, uh, you know, based on what we see, we've seen that really play out, but you know, I hope a lot of these companies are coming back and that things are rolling in. I know that motorcycle sales have already been doing very well since basically October of last year. Uh, I think people are getting excited this winter to be able to be back on the road. Uh, and I know myself included, I uh, continue to look back at some of the cool experiences that we were able to have last year. I uh, wanted to kind of double down this year as, as the year comes out of everything we've learned from our lives, right? In 2020, I think a lot of us grew a lot, whether it was due to negative or positive circumstances, we all kind of reflected on our lives and have made a few changes that have probably helped us to come out of that situation a little bit better. We all grow from adversity. Um, and so, you know, I'm hoping that uh, that this year we can all, both the industries we support and us, come out of this excited and having a successful motorcycle year. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Nonetheless, I, you know, I hope everybody can can check us out online. We've got a few changes coming. Um, so keep an eye out that at slackermoto.com and, and on our Facebook page and Instagram especially. Uh, make sure to uh, to follow the Instagram page. There's a few things coming up, including a big milestone. We are really close to hitting 10,000 downloads. Woo-hoo! Uh, which, uh, yeah, that's crazy for us. That that's awesome. Uh, I don't know if "crazy" is the right word. Maybe not the right connotation, at least. But but that's <laughs> crazy awesome to me. Um, and and so we'll be doing a few things to go along with that. We've got a couple of giveaways coming, so make sure to follow and and tag along so uh, so you can participate in that. Until next time. Right on.